Husky fans, share. Lord Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want to follow you. We want to know the joy that you have for us. And Lord, we ask your help on the journey. So help us to understand this word to us this morning. And may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In your name, amen. Well, today's scripture lesson from Luke is all about what it means to be a disciple. And a disciple is a student, literally. And in the days of Jesus, a student wasn't so much a matter of sitting in a classroom as it was following the master around, living, observing, traveling together. Quite literally, a disciple is a student. And Jesus wants to focus the lesson to these students today on the cost of discipleship. Now, you can just imagine the crowds following him around. You can imagine why they were there, and you can wonder why he turned on them with these words this day. Some of them were probably there for the simple reason that nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. They were curious. They wanted to see what all the commotion was. Some of them were probably thrill-seekers, and they wanted to be with the mob just in case something erupted. They wanted to be at the scene. Some of them might have heard the stories about this radical young rabbi who was creating such a ruckus and was a troublemaker and seemed to be in the face of the religious authorities. And how did he get away with it anyway, without being beaten or imprisoned or killed? And then there was those who probably had heard stories about miracles, and they wanted to have a front row seat just in case some otherworldly power from God were to show up. They wanted to be there to see it. And then there were those who probably had seen it with their own eyes. And then there were those who had heard his teaching and were fascinated, and they were hungry for more. But for whatever reason they were there, Jesus turned on them that day. He turned on the crowd and confronted them them with these harsh words about hating mother and father, wife and child, brother and sister, even one owns life. About taking up one's cross and following him. It almost sounds like he was trying to scare them off. When I think about some of the best teachers I've ever had, They've typically been the ones who, at the start of the semester, tried to scare off the students. They were the ones who demanded the most. They laid out the the requirements for the course, and they sounded pretty heavy. And they demanded the most, and they were the ones that I learned the most from, because they were so demanding. And then there were those teachers who were just plain dangerous. I remember Mr. Meyer, who had the uncanny ability to wheel around from the chalkboard and to, with precision, zing a piece of chalk off the head of any student who had fallen asleep. (laughs) I adopted the habit of sitting in the front row, not because it was safer, because it helped me stay awake. Don't worry, he wasn't my preaching teacher, so you're all safe out there. But by far and away, the most demanding teacher, the most dangerous teacher I've ever known is Jesus Christ. 
Following him can ruin your life. Now, before I go any further, I want to set one thing straight. Jesus is not teaching us to hate. Everything in the scripture shows us that his whole life carried the message of love. He was the incarnation of love. He's not using the word hate here to teach us to hate our families or to hate other people. He's not using it as a word of anger. He's not using it as a word of power. This scripture can never be used to justify an abuse of power against someone else in a family or anywhere else. That's not the point. Jesus is deliberately using hyperbole here. He's using the most extreme language possible to drive home his point. He doesn't want the crowd to miss it because this is the center of his teaching on what it means to be a disciple. So he's not using the word hate in terms of an angry feeling that we act out on. He's using the word hate as a relative valuation of what's important. He's saying that if you were tied to anyone or anything that gets in your way of being my disciple, you'd be better off hating them than to let that happen to you. You need to make your commitment to me your first commitment, ahead of anyone or anything else. If you put your mother or father ahead of me or their expectations of you or their faith or their lack of faith, if that is getting in your way of following me, you'd be better off hating them than to let that get in your way. If you put your tribe or your clan or your culture ahead of me, you'd be better off hating them. If you put your career, your job, if you put your reputation ahead of me, you'd be better off hating your own life than to let any of that get in the way of following me. Unless you're prepared to make me Lord above everything else, you cannot be my disciple. Then he says one more thing, which is not hyperbole. It's real. It's the part about the cross. Jesus has just raised the bar. Talk about a high price. Is that a price any of us can pay anyway? What would it look like if we had to carry our cross? Yet Jesus seems to be saying that the cost of following him will be greater than anything else we can think of. And then to drive the point home, he has these two parables. The parable about the man building the tower and the parable about the king who goes out to battle. And in both cases, he says the first thing you need to do is sit down and estimate the cost. Make a full account and you'd better get it right because if you're wrong and you come up short, you're going to become a laughing stock. My little boy Jacob and I love to build towers with building blocks. And being somewhat of the engineer at heart, I like to build those towers as high as I can get them. And I got a little annoyed a few times because the most fun part for Jacob is smashing them down. And before I could go, I was ready to go three more levels. He was smashing it down, gleefully. But I realized there's wisdom in that. You see, he knows that no matter how good of engineers we are, and no matter how many blocks we have, eventually that little tower is going to collapse under its own weight. It's never going to reach the sky. And so he might as well knock it down before it falls of its own accord. It reminds me of the Tower of Babel. You know what the very first thing people did when civilization arose? In Genesis 11, we read that the very first act of civilization 
was to set out to construct the city and the tower. And the tower was designed to reach to heaven. And God wouldn't allow it to happen. God knew it's not for people to do. That's not what it means to be a human being, is to be able to build a tower that reaches to heaven. Why, if we were doing that, we wouldn't need God, would we? We'd be able to worship the work of our own hands. And that's not what life is about. In a way, building a tower is a metaphor for life. Because nothing we build ever reaches heaven. We can't build a stairway to heaven. But yet we keep on trying. We invest in so many things that can't hold up the weight. So many false foundations. Career, family, dreams, ambition. But Jesus is a tough teacher. He's as tough as nails, just like Barry said. And anything that we begin to idolize, he will smash down. But then there's something else in these parables. You see, if we were to just look at these parables only with an eye to the cost of discipleship, only with an eye to the cost of following Jesus, we'd miss the deeper significance. There's an amazing grace in these parables. Look at the parable of the king. The king finds peace. He finds peace by surrendering. You see, the point of these parables isn't so much that Jesus is trying to teach us the cost of following him. He's trying to get us to look at the cost of not following him. In business, we call this the opportunity cost. The cost of the missed opportunity. And the cost of going it alone is the cost that will end up building a life that is unfinished, a life that is going to look something like that monstrosity down on 8th Street across from Bell Square. Because we couldn't finish what we started. We don't have enough blocks. And we don't have a foundation strong enough to support the weight of the world. You see, it's not the weight of the cross that is the problem. It's the weight of the world. The weight of the cross is a burden lightly carried when we realize that Jesus is carrying it for us. And this is the most surprising thing about the weight of the cross. You know, before we pick it up, it looks unmanageably heavy. It seems more than we can bear. It's not until we obey our Lord and bend and lift that cross we realize it, how light it is because we're with the one who carried the cross for us. And we enter into his joy. And that joy doesn't come from just listening to the teachings of Jesus. It doesn't come from idolizing Jesus. It doesn't come from just being one of the crowd. No. The joy in life comes from obeying him from picking up the cross and discovering how joyful and light the burden is. So you see, it's not the cost of following him that is more than we can bear. Nonetheless, our landscape is littered with unfinished lives that tried to do it. If you want to see a good example of it, I would recommend this book that came out that compares the lives of Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis. Both of them Brilliant. Both of them began life as atheists. Both of them determined to build their lives into a towering achievement. Only their paths diverged. 
The one steadfastly refused to believe in the truth of the gospel. Freud clung to his atheism, and it drove him deeper into despair. And at age 80, he said, My mood is bad. Little pleases me. My self-criticism has grown much more acute. I would diagnose it as senile depression in anyone else. Meanwhile, C.S. Lewis, who began life pretty much the same way, met Jesus. He was surprised by joy. He had this good advice, which I did not follow when I was a young, striving unbeliever. His advice is to the young atheist is, you better be careful what you read. Well, I picked up a book by C.S. Lewis that helped open my eyes to a greater reality than one I had known. Lewis ended up living a life that was based on giving life away and said that until you give your life away, you've never really found who you are. He discovered the lightness of Jesus' command to take up the cross and follow him, to be his disciple. And he was surprised by the joy that he experienced when he gave up trying to build a tower out of his life. A missionary I know has spent most of his life in Pakistan working with the untouchables of the desert region. And he tells a story of conversion of one of these men who was an untouchable. You see, an untouchable is someone who is despised, the lowest caste, literally untouchable by higher caste people. They bear the burden and shame of being untouchables all of their lives, and the only thing they have to hang on to is their identity as a member of that caste, as a member of the untouchable caste. So to convert to Christianity is to even give that up. What could possibly possess someone to give up everything, even that, even their identity, even their family? And when this happened, and the man who was converted was asked by others who couldn't believe what he was doing, why? Why did you do this? What did these Christians give you to get you to profess faith in Christ? He said, oh no, oh no, you've got it all wrong. It's not what they gave me. It's what they took away from me. They took away his guilt, his shame. His burden was gone. He was left with the joy of Jesus Christ in his life and finding out finally who he was. You see, these are the marks, the true marks of discipleship. The true marks of a disciple are freedom and joy. The freedom from trying to build something we're not going to be able to complete. The joy of discovering the Lord who has carried the burden for us. And it's not simply a matter of having enough faith, as if we could, as if we could have enough faith to construct our own salvation. No. The faith comes from obedience. The faith happens when we pick up that cross and discover that joy and we realize who the one who bear it, who he is. That's where the faith comes from. It's through the obedience. It's through following him. And when we do that, we discover that this Jesus is the one who told us, come to me, all you who are here, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart. I will give you rest for your souls. Learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A Christian is someone who has been called to account twice. A Christian has been called to account, first of all, 
to consider the cost of the choice they get to make. The cost of following Jesus or not following him. And secondly, called to account for the amazing joy that we have received from him. The joy that we have to share with all the world. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are this kind of Savior who has borne the cross for us and invited us into your joy. Lord, we do ask that we would learn more and more how to count both costs so that we could rejoice with you more and more. In your name we pray. Amen.